simple question. Uh, raise your hand if you're from what people might call the country. Anybody from the country? You consider yourself a country person. Uh, most of you know that I grew up in Bryan, Texas, a very small town in Brazos Valley, and I consider myself a country boy. And there were certain things that I came across as I was growing up, and I thought maybe we could start this lesson off by seeing if any of you guys were familiar with some of the things that I grew up with. For example, raise your hand again if you're familiar with sour grass. Anybody eat sour grass when they were young? Uh, did you happen to throw any spear grass at anybody? Did you partake of any wild grapes? Very good. So we do have some country people in the audience, and I appreciate you being here. Uh, just in case you city folks don't know, uh, country folks are good people. I just want to say that. If you were raised in the country, you might be familiar with this. Raise your hand if you feel like you know what this is. Okay, it might have stumped a few of you. If you're from the country, every once in a while you will see this plant especially if you have an opportunity to go through outback types of areas like up in Colorado, uh, where I took this information from. If you're not familiar with it, this is called loco weed. And it derives its name from the Spanish word loco, which means crazy. And some of you might be asking yourself right about this time, we're only about two or three minutes into this presentation, ask Archie, what in the world are we talking about local wheat for? Is this an agricultural session or is this supposed to be preaching? Well, I'm, I'm going to try to make a point here if you don't mind, so just bear with me. When local wheat encompasses the grassland where animals are and they eat of it and they're forced to eat only this type of plant, the reason why they call it local wheat is because, number one, it's not desirable as feed because they should be eating other things. And what ends up happening with the animals that are forced to eat the local weed when there's nothing else suitable that's available, over the course of time, the animals have been described as becoming scrawny. And their bodies become wasted. They lose, oftentimes, the ability to feed themselves. In other words, the, 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 the sickness that they're gaining from the local weed takes on such a prominence in their bodies that they start to waste away and they refuse, even if you bring some good feed to them. More of the symptoms go like this. They are inclined to have more accidents. They're inclined to have more miscarriages. They're inclined to have more birth defects. And I want you to watch this last one. They're more vulnerable to infectious diseases. And you might be saying to yourself right about now, that's a horrible situation to have one of our livestock in. As I researched a little bit more, I came across this information and it says, if the infected animal is not removed from where the loco weed is, if there's no uh, beneficial food that's put in its place, then ultimately the brain damage that has occurred, and this is why the animal is described as being local, because the brain neurons have been damaged, that animal can possibly die. And here's why we're talking about this. And I really want you to consider this. Go back, if you will, 4,000 years ago. And I want you to ask yourself a question. Who has the responsibility of keeping the herd safe from the local wheat? Who has the responsibility for not allowing the herd to go crazy, so to speak? Who has the responsibility of allowing 
the, 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 the herd to make sure that they are safe, that they are healthy, and they are beneficial to the owner. Well, could it be the sheep? Are they responsible for this? What about the sheep owner? Is he responsible? There's always a third character here. What about the shepherd? Now, we have animals. They're out. They're affected by the local weed. They're doing things that they shouldn't be doing. But most of all, they're becoming unhealthy. Who is responsible for this? I want you to turn in your Bibles, please, with me to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. I want to use this for a text for the next few minutes. I pray that you always bring your Bibles to Bible study and to worship. And I want us to look at verses 70, 71, and 72. I'll be reading from the New King James. Psalm 78, 70, 71, and 72. And the Bible says, He also chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from the following the ewes that had young, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. This is a great text. And if you notice that God is talking about his servant, David, and the reason why he's talking about his servant, David, is because God said that he was going to look for his king in first Samuel chapter 16, and he was going to find his king as one of the sons of Jesse, but he wasn't going to be known as other people would know him. He wasn't going to be seen as other people see him because he was going to be the Lord's king, unlike Saul, who was the people's king. There was a difference between Saul, and there was a difference between Saul and David. God was looking for his king, and he was going to find him in the shepherd David. I want to use for a subject title this evening, if you don't mind, Guided, by skillful hands. This comes directly from verse number 72, where we're talking about David and what God was asking him to do. Guided by skillful hands. I want you to ask another question. When we think about David, and when we think about this Psalm 78, what do we believe that God was calling David to do? Was he only calling him to be king, and be king over Israel, and to guide his people according to God's will? Or was God calling David also so that he would be the killer of giants? That's a favorite children Bible story, isn't it? It's one that we get a lot of leeway out of, and there's nothing wrong with that for the small children. Uh, but let's take a look here. Was David a giant killer? Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel, chapter 17. Everybody knows this familiar text, hopefully, that the Philistines had come into the region where God's people were, and they had amassed an army that was so large and so huge it was intimidating, but there was one man that stood about nine feet tall, if we do the conversion correctly, and he challenged the peace of God, and he called them out, and he made them understand that there's nobody greater than the Philistine army, and there was nobody greater than Goliath. And if you look at 1 Samuel 17... In verse 34, 
The Bible says, but David said to Saul, remember, Saul is the king. Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from his mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. David was telling the king of Israel, why are you worried? And why are you worried about sending the shepherd boy? God has prepared me. The way he saved me from the lion and the bear is the way I want to deal with this uncircumcised Philistine. Verse 36, your servant has killed both lion and bear and his uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Isn't that a beautiful challenge? That somebody would stand up to the test and say, we're not going to let this uncircumcised Philistine deny us the counsel of God. We are God's people. We have nothing to fear. Is that why God called David? If we go a little bit further in our Bible, maybe we feel like David was called to be an adulterer. I hope that's not so. In 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 4, the Bible says that he sent his messengers over to get Bathsheba. He brought Bathsheba back to his home and he lay with her. And in verse 5, he said that she was with child. Maybe some of us feel like only David was called for that. Well, maybe some of us feel like David was called to be a murderer. If we go down to verse 15 of 2 Samuel chapter 11, we find that because David had laid with Bathsheba, wasn't his wife, and then he murdered her husband to try to cover up that sin when she became with child in verse 15 of that chapter. He calls for his general to take Uriah and take him on the front of the line. That way he could be injured unto death. What a grievous situation. Was David called to be a giant killer? Was David called to be a murderer? Was David called to be an adulterer? I don't believe the text supports that that was why David was called. I want to suggest here this evening, if you don't mind, and I took this from Brother Joe Slater. I want to make sure that he gets his credit here. I want to believe with all of my heart that David was not called to be a murderer. David was not called to be an adulterer, even though he did those things. David was not called to be a giant killer, even though he did that thing. David was called to do for God's sheep, Israel, what he had done for Jesse's sheep in the sheepfold. Isn't that beautiful? Such a simplistic thing. And the reason why I say that. And I'm going to give you another quote here, if you don't mind. Brother Bill Kill, who was on our summer series this year, when he was leaving one evening, we were talking just for a few minutes. And he said, Archie, the main responsibility of the shepherd of the flock is to create an environment where the sheep will produce the most lambs. And they will produce the most will to prosper the owner of the flock. I want you all to think about that. That's important. That's imperative for our conversation this evening. The main responsibility of the shepherd is to make sure that all things are sufficient so that when the owner comes to gain more wealth in this present world, he will take with him the best of the best of the best. Turning your Bibles to Malachi chapter 2. I want to try to prove this if you don't mind. Malachi chapter 2 verse 15. Malachi chapter 2 verse 15. In verse 15, the Bible says, that's right in front of Matthew, in case anybody's a little bit lost there. Go back to the left just a little bit. The Bible says in verse 15, but did he not make them one, having a remnant of the spirit? And which one? Watch the next verse. 
he seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. What is he saying through Malachi? That Israel had gotten off the path. God called them out of Egypt, not so that they could play the adulterer with all the other nations around. He called them so that he would have a people, a people that would be called by his name. How do you do that? You keep them pure. You keep them healthy. You keep them knowledgeable. You keep them challenged. You keep them going. You keep them moving towards Canaan. In today's terminology, we would say that that's heaven. We're all supposed to be on that path. And what ends up happening in Israel was because they took on false gods. The Bible talks about broken cisterns that can't even hold water. Jeremiah 3. We want to make sure that that's not what we're doing because that is not the job of the shepherd. It is not the job of a Christian. We're supposed to be creating a loving, wholesome, giving, beautiful, spirited environment. Well, let's find out how. What does it take to guide by skillful hands? What does it take to be like David? What does it take to be skillful in the raising and nurturing of that environment where you and I can be successful. I believe it starts with this point here. One who already is doing the work that is needed. If you notice in verse 70 and 71, God took David from the sheepfolds where he was following the ewes. David was already doing the work of the shepherd. Therefore, he knew what it was like to manage and to keep animals healthy and safe for the owner. How do you know that, Archie? Because when David was following the youths, who were the mothers of the lambs, when they were about to give birth, if we understand this important fact about the shepherd, if there was anything that was endangering that mother while she was about to have a birth, the shepherd was there to save her. If there was a problem in the birthing, he was there. If there was an injury in the birthing, he was there. If there was danger lurking close by, he was there. Look at what the Bible tells us. In Exodus chapter 18, verse 21. This process is simple. He talks about, moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, such as men of truth, such as hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds and rulers of fifties and rulers of ten. Not all shepherds had the same quantity of animals. But can we ascertain that all shepherds had the same responsibility? Regardless of how many that you are responsible for, you still had the same requirements that were there. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, if you'll turn there please, Deuteronomy chapter 1. The Bible says through Moses this same understanding. God tells Moses, choose wise understanding and knowledgeable men from among your tribes, and I will make them heads over you. This is the pattern. This is what we're always looking for. This is why David was called and not his brothers. We want to have people who understand that responsibility and 
they're going to do it. When we go to the New Testament, we find this reiterated in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7. Notice that the Bible includes not only should the flock know the shepherd, not only should the sheep know David, not only should the sheep be able to hear my voice, Jesus says in John chapter 10, but moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. It is important that we understand that when God is seeking that man, he is seeking someone who is already proven, someone who is already successful, someone who is already showing that pattern of blamelessness so that he can be a leader of God's people. Point number two, the Bible teaches us that this same shepherd should be one who already has the right heart. I want you to notice in verse 72, God chose David for one reason also, because he shepherded Jesse's flock according to the integrity of his heart. This is the same thing that God was wanting for him to do with Israel. Why? Because integrity is a masterful word. Integrity has as a definition, this is someone who stands upright. In Ecclesiastes 7, verse 29, the Bible has told us that God had made man upright. He didn't make us to sin, but he definitely did not ever choose to have the leadership of the flock as being sinful people. I want you to see in Acts chapter 13 how this works. Most of us remember this. We have a habit of quoting this sometimes. Luke records for us in verse 22, and when he had removed him, talking about Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. Now, why is God saying that he wants somebody who's going to do all his will? Is it okay for David to do half of God's will when it came to the sheep? Was God going to overlook half of what David did because David did not feel sufficient in that? No. The reason why David was chosen was because he had the right heart. He had the right integrity to do the things that we need to do. That term integrity means a person that lives by strong moral principles, not easily swayed. Well, you might be sitting there saying, Brother Archie, uh, but, but didn't you just say a few minutes ago that, that, that David sinned? Yes. So the question remains for the congregation sometimes because sometimes we, we, we don't always see this the same way. Can a man sin yet and still be right with God? Let's answer that question. Turn in your Bible to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. And let's go to chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Y'all remember God sent David a prophet after he had sinned with Bathsheba, after he had sinned with Uriah. And Nathan, the prophet, gave David a story talking about a wealthy man and an unwealthy man and how that wealthy man took advantage of that unwealthy man, even though he had no reason to take advantage of that unwealthy man. God has said to David, I had given you the kingdom. 
I had given you the kingship. I have given you the wives. I had given you all the land. I'd given you everything. And here you go, taking that one, one thing of value from that poor person. I want you to look at verse seven. If you remember the story, David was angry, verse five. And he was all ready to find out who this person was and take out justice on him. In verse seven, the Bible says, then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus said the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I've done everything for you, David. Yet and still, the only way you could reward and pay me back was to take something that wasn't yours. And really in the big open sequence of things, what you took was very, very small to you. But to him, it was everything. We're talking about integrity. We're trying to find out why God is, is giving us this understanding that how could this sinful man could have the heart that he needs to lead his people? Well, let's drop down. Look at verse 13. I want to show you why David is the man that God chose. Nathan said, because of this, you will surely die. So David says in verse 13, so David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. I want y'all to see this conversation, brothers and sisters. Sometimes we, we overlook sin. Sometimes we even overlook the cure for sin. Sometimes we're so embossed in our own mind and own understanding that we can so easily see the sin in everybody else. And we want them to come forward and make amends to God. But we overlook the sin of ourselves. The reason why David was a man after God's own heart was because he did not follow that process. When Nathan said, you are the man, David could have easily said, well, what about you? What about the sin in your life? You don't know me. You got a right to talk about me. You don't know where I've been. You don't know the things that I've done. That's not humility. When the big light shines on Archie Green, Archie Green needs to break at his knees and cry out to God. Be like that sinner in Matthew 18, Luke 18, I'm sorry, and beat my breast and ask God boldly for forgiveness. That's what we should do. That's what I should do. That's what the world should do. And I pray that we do those things. The Bible says also in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 5, because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not turned aside to anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. God didn't overlook David's sin. You remember God took his son. He didn't overlook his sin. But because he repented, he didn't take his life as well. It's a great example of humility there. Point number three, not only did David have the right heart and David understood before God the work that was said before him. I want you to notice the last point here. One who already understands the job that is set before him. When, 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 we, when we look at this, when God called David from following the ewes and the ewe lambs, David already knew why God was calling him. 
what his responsibility would be. We go to Acts chapter 20, 28, many, many times in, the, in, the, in this particular arena for the downtown church, we use these verses. But I wonder if we often really contemplate this verse because the Bible says, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, not some of the flock, not a fourth of the flock, all of the flock, among the which the Holy Spirit had made you overseers. It's not man that qualifies you. It is the Holy Spirit. Just like God qualified David over all of his brothers. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, the reason why Eliab was not taken as king, because remember, the, the prophet showed up, and the first one he saw was, was, was Jesse's son. He said, here's a good one right here. He looks good. He's tall. He's muscular. Man, that's got to be a king. He was thinking just like Saul, wasn't he? Saul sinned, and he wasn't the right one. The Bible says, we are shepherds that take care of the church of God, which God purchased through his son's own blood. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 through 3, he says it like this. We are to shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for a dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to us, but being examples to the flock. It's such a beautiful thing to realize that David in his own sinfulness could still be an example to the flock. Why? Because God just simply said he's not going to turn to the right. He's not going to turn to the left. He's going to listen to the Lord. He's going to hear his utterances. He's going to have the knowledge that he needs and he's going to do what God tells him to do. There's a lot of people that listen to God, but they don't do what God says to do. We need to make sure that as we go through, we look at our dear brother David and we make sure that we understand why he was chosen and how it applies to us. Why was David chosen and not one of his brothers? I think it's simple. It's because of what the Bible says in Psalm 78, verses 70 through 72, because he was one who was already doing the work that was needed. He was one who already had the right heart. He was one who already understood the job that was set before him. He already knew. He already desired. When God came calling, he didn't walk away. What are we talking about, Archie? Well, in many ways, brothers and sisters, we're talking about this. This is a faithful saying. If any man desires a position of a bishop, he desires a good work. We know these things. We realize that just like David, I can easily turn away God's request for me to be his shepherd over the flock. But if I accept that post, I need to realize that my one job is to create an environment so that all of the flock, the blemished and the unblemished, all of the flock, the black wool and the white wool, all of the flock, the young and the old, all of the flock, those that are knowledgeable, and those that are lacking in knowledge, we ought to create an environment for every single last lamb so that they can grow and they can prosper and they can be beneficial to the Lord. I gave this message today partly because our leadership has decided to take on new leaders in the next near future. 
Over the next few months, there's going to be some announcements to some degree that we're looking for godly men to help us in our leadership roles. I hope that every man here within the sound of my voice realized that when you went down in that watery grave of baptism, you came up a new creation. And part of that creation was to realize that you now serve a risen Christ and you now have a duty and a responsibility to serve the Lord in all capacities. Our young men in this congregation, and we don't have that many, but I'm praying that we'll have some more you lambs, okay? I appreciate George and his message this morning talking about the fishers of men class. I hope everybody comes. That's a good start. It's not a finish, but it's a good start. When we come up out of that water grave of baptism, we realize that we need to do all for God. Not just a little bit. This verse is important. Because I've said before many times in many occasions, brothers and sisters, we don't have to be an elder to go to heaven. We don't. We don't have to be a song leader to go to heaven. We don't have to be a preacher to go to heaven. We don't have to be a deacon to go to heaven. All we need to be is a faithful child of God. Revelation 2.10, be thou faithful unto death and you will receive the crown of life. That's all we need to know. But if I desire to take on this work, can I do it with all my heart? Can I do what God is asking me to do? Can I lead as David led with the integrity of my heart, knowing what God is asking me to do, taking on that responsibility? And it's a weighty responsibility, brothers and sisters. Don't, don't, don't. It's tough enough just being a Christian. When you add to that the responsibility of leadership in the Lord's church, that is a heavy, heavy measure. And I pray that all of us here, and I, and I believe, and I, I, I totally apologize this morning, whoever the brother that led the prayer this morning, it might have been Jerry, I'm not exactly sure, but he prayed for us as the leadership of any congregation is subject to God, that we would be subject to that leadership. I want us to realize that that is the only pattern of righteousness in the Bible. And for us to get that done, we all have to do what we're supposed to do. Let me suggest this too while I'm here. And then I'll give the invitation close. You know the most wonderful thing about the difference between the Old Testament shepherd and the New Testament shepherd design when it comes to David? When David was called, that responsibility was on his shoulders. Does that make sense? He was a single man with, with, with a singular responsibility to govern over literally all of Israel. And I know he didn't do that all by himself, but, but understand what the Bible is saying. Do you understand in the New Testament that God calls a plurality of men so that they don't have to bear the burden all themselves? Isn't that beautiful? God in his foresight said, you don't have to do this alone. And what's even more beautiful is that none of those men who are called and participate in this have to worry about doing it without God. Turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's see what's at stake here. In 1 Peter chapter 5, I want you to notice verse 4. When Christians in general take on the work of a Christian, but especially when the leadership of the local congregation takes on that work, verse 4 tells us exactly why this is so essential. The Bible says, And when the chief shepherd appears... You will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Why do we do that? Because God has called the faithful unto repentance 
He's called the loving to do exactly what his son did by going to Calvary's cross. The Bible helps us incline our ear and makes us hear the message that rings from heaven. I haven't talked much about the gospel plan of salvation this evening. My lesson was more garnered toward us as a congregation, the leadership, of course, and the children of this congregation so that we might all work together to the best of our ability to accomplish what God has allowed us to do. I hope we take that seriously. But none of this would be possible if it wasn't for the Lord. If Jesus hadn't gone to Calvary's cross exhibiting that exact humbleness of leadership in his mind, we would be sitting here without hope. So I have to say this evening that because God is so loving and he allowed his son to die in our place, we have the right to the tree of life if we are willing to obey. How do we do that, Archie? But when I hear that beautiful message that Jesus who was in heaven being equal with God did not bother taking on the form of man, coming down to this earth, giving up that glory and took on human flesh and went to that cross, bearing our sin, bearing our shame, having no guilt of his own. He was crucified and he bled and he died. When a person understands that and they know that that's not just some type of story that somebody made up, when they realize to the best of their abilities that this is the truth of God, this is what happened and he did it for you and me, then I have that responsibility. I may not accept it, but those with a contrite heart, they will always accept the message of God. In the day that you hear my voice, harden not your heart. I don't want anybody to have a hard heart. But I want everybody to hear the message of Jesus. When I hear that and I believe and I accept it as truth and I'm willing to turn away from sin. Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. When I'm willing to confess, the Bible says, if you confess me before me and I will confess you before my father, which is in heaven. When I am willing to be baptized in water where we meet the blood of Christ, that blood washes us of our sin. It's the only thing that we have in this entire world to do that. You can't say a sinner's prayer. You can't invite Christ into your heart. None of those things will work. Those are man-made doctrines. The only thing that you can do is understand what God is asking you to do. Be buried, dying to your sin so that you might be raised up in newness of life. If you're willing to do that, you can become his child. At that point, God adds you to the church, that one church of the Bible. There is no other that will save. Ephesians 5.23. And then you become a child of God. If you are a child of God and you realize that you haven't held to the pattern of righteousness, if for some reason this life has become heavy, it's become cumbersome, you've said something, you've thought something, you've done something that you know goes against the will of God, we have a responsibility too to confess those sins before God and ask him for forgiveness. And if need be, ask the church to pray on our behalf so we can come out of that sin. That's what the Bible teaches. The elders of a local congregation have a huge responsibility, but we also as Christians, as the flock, have a huge responsibility. Everyone is responsible for creating a proper environment for us to glorify God, because that's what it's all about. We're supposed to be of one mind. We're supposed to be of one heart. We're supposed to support that one God. If you want to become a child of God this evening, 
or if you simply have sins in your life that you need to repent of. If you want the prayers of the church, if you just simply want somebody to talk to, why don't we all stand together and sing the invitation song and let that be known.